It is Friday, and we are working for Crusoe Friday, February 9th, 2024. Sam Park, John Ramey with you. Sam is in Los Angeles. I am in Reno, Nevada, where none of the above fever is sweeping the political landscape. Today on Working for Crusoe, we're going to talk about elections happening and elections delayed. Elections happening in Pakistan and El Salvador. The Salvadoranio president appears to have been reelected in a landslide despite being technically constitutionally barred from a second term. Hmm. And tear gas being deployed on the streets of Dakar, Senegal, to break up protests about an election that will not take place until December. Uh, Sam Park, good morning. Good morning. Let us begin in El Salvador, which is Spanish for the savior. This is a fascinating story. Um, and spending time in Los Angeles, living there part-time as I do, living there full-time as you do, uh, the um, infamous Salvadoreño street gang, MS-13, has a component in this story. El Salvador is a country of 6.6 .6 million people. It's the 104th largest GDP in the world. And right now, the electoral authority in El Salvador is hand-counting ballots in the country's presidential and legislative assembly elections because there were some system failures in transmitting the votes. There is not really a doubt about the re-election of President Nayib Bukele. 83% of uh, the majority of the vote counted. So it's an apparent landslide, although the country's election authorities have not declared him the winner. He has declared himself the winner. Almost and instantly. The, yeah. The Washington Post has declared him the winner. Uh, other uh, reputable outlets have declared him the winner. Um, the hand count is going on regarding legislative seats. Um, he's not even really allowed to run for a second term, but his supporters in the legislative branch that appoint who's on the uh, constitutional court basically said the law says something different to what it says. And he's wildly popular because he has cracked down on MS-13 crime and, uh, and other gangs, right? Crime, the huge story in El Salvador. And so effectively they have elected a strong man who smashed up the two existing political parties. And now looks like he's consolidating power with massive popularity. Correct. Uh, I mean, El Salvador is a very small country, uh, not just in terms of population, but geographically. And crime has been an, a terrible problem there for many years. And it's interesting that you mentioned the local angle on organized crime in El Salvador because uh, MS-13 and some of the other gangs that you know fight each other for territory uh, all across El Salvador with horrifying consequences, I might add. Uh, MS-13 and some of these other gangs actually got their start here in, in Los Angeles for the most part and, and other parts of the United States, but more so here than anywhere else, uh, where uh, they were uh, immigrant criminals and were imprisoned uh, for criminal activity here in the United States, uh, at which point, time they continued their gang activities in prisons as do other gangs uh and then after finishing their prison sentences in america were deported to el salvador uh and essentially took over the country in many ways there are uh whole neighborhoods of san salvador and other cities in el salvador where you can't leave 
one gang controlled area to go to another area controlled by a different gang. That's how dire the security situation is in El Salvador. And as, as I say, this has been a problem for quite some time. And Bukele, uh, upon first becoming president, just massively cracked down on this in, in ways that uh, we would find appalling if we didn't face such security problems as El Salvador faces. Just no semblance of due process of any kind. But it's made a big difference in the feeling of personal safety that El Salvadoranos have. Uh, and uh, this is in no small part why Bukele is so popular. Here's a stunning statistic that came from an opinion piece from two Latin American scholars in the New York Times regarding Bukele's apparent landslide re-election. He assumed power in 2019. Uh, Bukele previously was the mayor of San Salvador, the capital city. So he assumes uh, power in 2019 as president. The homicide rate dropped from 38 per 100,000 to 7.8 per 100,000 in three years, well below the Latin American average. Yes. Um, so the downside of that, one in every 45 uh, Salvadoreños is in prison now. There are just sweeps, people just thrown in prison, as you said, no semblance of due process. But he is very popular. And considering how, as you said, dire the situation had been with gangs, the other major gang, I believe, is the 18th Street Gang that rivals uh, MS-13. It's a situation where a um, the pure expression of democracy tramples civil liberties in some regards and you yes. know, cautionary tale cautionary tale for every place that votes which is half the population this year that's right and uh again i think i'm not certain about this but i believe the 18th street mentioned in the name of that gang is the 18th street here in la i believe uh, that's right and uh there are so many elements to this story that we don't have time to get into in in uh, as much detail as we might like. But one of them is that one of the reasons that crime has become such a problem in El Salvador for quite a long time is because of the destabilization of Salvadoran society uh, stemming from the civil war that took place uh, during the Cold War, essentially during the last decade of the Cold War. John, you're probably too young to remember this, but Towards the end of the Cold War, Central America in general was one of the main sort of proxy theaters of that. Noriega conflict. and such. Right? Yes, you know, all over Central America, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala. Uh, and uh, it doesn't take much to destabilize that small a country. And in fact, the United States has no small part in responsibility for the destabilization of those societies, especially El Salvador, which is, again, a very small country. Uh, there were right-wing death squads that were sort of duking it out with uh, communist, uh, Soviet-backed uh, uh, guerrilla groups. Uh, and again, in a, such a small country, it, it's very easy for the whole country to be destabilized. 
and uh, it's never fully recovered from that. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons that these criminal gangs were able to take power so quickly upon returning to El Salvador from the United States. Uh, it's a very complicated situation in, on a very small piece of territory. It doesn't, thankfully, seem as though it's spilling over to other parts of Central America. There are other troubled countries in Central America, but they each have their own variety of trouble that don't seem to have a lot of impact on each other. Again, that's sort of a relief, but the those nations in Central America that had the most U.S. involvement uh, are still the most troubled. And I'm not saying that's it's all the fault of America because that would be far too simplistic a construction, but it just is one of the sort of lingering effects of the Cold War in that part of the world. So the general elections were held in El Salvador uh, on Sunday, this past Sunday, the 4th, and there will be another round of elections on the 3rd of March. And that is when uh, Salvadoreños will elect all their mayors and their municipal councils and all 20 of El Salvador's deputies to the Central American Parliament, which is something that I don't believe has ever come up on working for Crusoe. So I'm not even sure I knew that there was such a thing. I think I am in the same boat. I was waiting for you to say if you admitted that or not. News the to me. I know, Central American Parliament. So, you know, you learn something new, uh, hopefully every week, but certainly this week on Working for Crusoe. I just, uh, Sam, the, the overwhelming apparent popularity of Bukele, who, again, has done miraculous things regarding crime in El Salvador, and we acknowledge that was the number one problem. But with blatant disregard um, for not only due process, but he has essentially crushed the existing uh, two established political parties for his one party that he founded called Nuevas Ideas, or Ideas Nuevas, which means new ideas. And, you know, just because you're popular doesn't mean it's a great idea to consolidate everything under one guy and one party. Well, no, and and... Bukele is a fascinating figure, and in some ways, just because he's so distinctive, uh, it's it's almost sort of a relief because it's difficult to be Nayib Bukele, right? There's right. Not he's forty two. He's handsome. Yeah. He referred to himself as the world's coolest dictator. At That's one right. Point. He's uh, his he's of Palestinian ancestry, right? His his parents are I think his father that is was a a Palestinian immigrant to El Salvador of which I didn't know there were a whole lot of them. There probably aren't, actually, right? But, uh, he, yes, he very frequently actually refers to himself as the world's coolest dictator. Uh, he, uh, as one of his economic policies, uh, although I'm not sure we should actually call this a policy, but he <laughs> instituted Bitcoin as yes, a national right. currency for El Salvador. Now, I don't think that's actually gone very well. I don't think you can, you know, I don't think a lot of people go to stores and buy their groceries using Bitcoin. It's just more of a sort of branding exercise for him. Uh, but it's, uh, again, 
we should be thankful that there aren't a lot of other people in Central America like Naib Bukele. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see, because again, he's a very young man. He could hold on to power for quite some time, right? If if he can somehow serve a second term, what's to stop him from serving, you know, three, four, five, however many terms? Uh, and he could live a very long time. We'll see how this works out. Again, we should be happy that this doesn't seem to be emblematic of larger trends in the region. All right. From El Salvador, a country of six and a half million people to Pakistan, a nation of 240 million people, the 46th largest gross domestic product on earth. General elections held yesterday, February 8th, to the 16th National Assembly. So there are 266 seats in the Assembly. There are 44 political parties in Pakistan, but really only three major ones. The big issues, political instability, security issues, and an economic crisis. And the conventional wisdom prior to the election was three-time former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif was going to be elected for a fourth term. Um, he is returning after a forced exile from court convictions. But thus far, this election appears to be much closer than people anticipated. Yes, this is the most fascinating thing that's happened in Pakistani politics for quite some time. And we touched on this last year when Imran Khan, the head of the uh, uh, Pakistan, uh, I think it's Pakistan Tarif Insaf, Party. It is the PTI. Yeah, the PTI or Movement for Just the Pakistani Movement for Justice is what that stands for. Uh when he was first arrested uh last year, we reported on it then. And he's in jail now. He is in jail. Uh and uh Sharif, similarly to Bekele, uh there was a ban on him seeking political office because of his corruption. Uh, convictions, but somehow the Pakistani Supreme Court decided that he was no longer banned. Uh, and it just sort of seemed like the fix was in. Now, here in our country and in other countries, we sort of, you know, look askance at conspiracy theorists, but I couldn't blame any citizen of Pakistan who indulged in conspiracy theories because, as a matter of fact, political anti democratic conspiracies happen in Pakistan all the time right sharif somehow is you know not no longer banned from politics even though a court the, the court said he was before how does this wash and the same as khan being immensely popular and all of a sudden jailed yes and in fact this these elections were first scheduled to take place last october uh but there was some apparently problem with redistricting or drawing the, the district lines for uh, the elections, and so they had to be postponed. Uh, that was the official reason given. And yet, oh, what do you know? The week before the election, Khan is convicted of two different sets of charges, one in, in, in two consecutive days. He was convicted one day for, uh, uh, I believe it was revealing official secrets, and the following day for you know, sort of run-of-the-mill garden variety corruption. Now, it's worth pointing out that revealing official secrets seems to have consisted of 
waving a piece of paper around and saying, I have here the proof that I was ousted in a parliamentary vote of no confidence due to a conspiracy at the behest of the United States in connivance with the Pakistani military. So the United States, of course, denies that this is true. And I have no idea whether it's true or not. I kind of don't think it is, actually. Uh, but if that was how he revealed official secrets, then it would seem to lend credence to the idea that the United States was somehow involved. Otherwise, why would this be classified? If nothing actually happened, why should there be classified information about it? It's possible, however, that this is what we would, in our country, think of more as a conspiracy charge. That is, he is charged with the intent of reveal of revealing official secrets. In other words, if if this had happened, it would be classified information, and Khan would be revealing it. So I don't I don't know enough about Pakistani law or American law, for that matter, to say if that's the case or not. I'm guessing that might be the nature of the charges against him. But to return to the main point, oh. The election has to be postponed so that these convictions can be handed down a week before they, the new date of the election. This is how it could easily seem to anybody inside of Pakistan. And the reality is it's the military in Pakistan that's doing, that's running the machine, right? That's, oh, how, that's how Khan got the no confidence vote because he crossed the military. That's I, right. I'm pretty sure that's how Sharif got in trouble because he crossed the military. As a matter of fact, no Pakistani prime minister has ever completed a term right. uh, since the establishment of Pakistan in 1947. Wait, so it's uh, Pervaz uh, Musharraf did not complete. A term? I'm not sure if he was ever actually the prime minister. He, oh, right, great point. Yeah, he was he, president. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was the president and right. overthrew Nawaz Sharif. I can't remember if that was the last time Sharif was prime minister or not. It, it's, right. you know, after a while. So, as France 24 pointed out, it's a revolving door. Great yes. metaphor for Pakistani politics. So the three parties, it's Sharif and the Pakistan Muslim League. It's yes. Khan, who can't run because he's in jail with the Pakistan uh, Tariq uh, Insaf, the PTI. And then, so, so Khan couldn't run, but he did vote from jail, I read in published reports. And then the third major party, uh, has the candidate of uh, Bilawal Bhutto uh, Zadari. That's the Pakistan People's Party, the PPP. And if you listen carefully, uh, Bilawal Bhutto Zadari is um, the son of Benazir Bhutto, the assassinated former prime minister, and uh, the son of former president Asif Ali Zardari, and the grandson of former president uh, Zulfigar Ali Bhutto. Right. So it, it's all kind of the same. It's the same characters or at least the same dynasties. Yes, it, it echoes much of what we were talking about in Bangladesh a couple of weeks ago when they had their elections. Uh, in fact, all over the Indian subcontinent, there are parties that are essentially family dynasties. For example, uh, when Imran Khan was ousted in the vote of no confidence, the new caretaker prime minister was Shabazz Sharif the right. brother of Nawaz Sharif. And so the uh, uh, P, uh, the PMLN, 
uh, party is essentially a family concern of the Sharif family, and the PPP is uh, a concern of the Bhutto and Al-Zadari families. Uh, and their son now is the PPP candidate. And so m quite a lot of Imran Khan and the PTI's popularity just stems from him being the first major force in Pakistani politics to break this sort of family duopoly of, of uh, that has been in place for many, many years. And it seems as though uh, people are so sick of this sort of thing that uh, that the PTI, well, the, the that is independent candidates assumed to be affiliated with the PTI are have really done extraordinarily well in this election to the surprise of many observers because everybody thought that all these fixes that have been put in that we've just been detailing the convictions of Khan, the postponement of the election so that the convictions could be handed down, the vote of no confidence. Everyone thought that this would kind of work and it would just sort of depress turnout amongst followers of the PTI just to constantly be giving them the signal, this is not going to work out for you. We're going to fix this against you. It doesn't seem to have worked. In fact, it might have had exactly the opposite effect. Of no small note, 12 people, at minimum 12 people have been killed and 39 wounded nationwide in Pakistan during attacks aimed at disrupting the vote. That's according to the military. And there are multiple reports of a couple of explosions in one province in particular. So this is not fake news. Um, there have been violent acts, armed groups. There was a suspension of mobile phone services that prompted accusations of Political engineering, again, you could hardly fault people for being conspiracy-minded when so often it actually is a conspiracy by the military to orchestrate how these elections work. Yes, but we should split those things up. Yes. For example, okay. the, 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 the terrorist attacks took place in uh, the uh, western province of Baluchistan, which is a very, uh, very large geographically uh, that is a very large piece of land, but it's not all that uh, densely populated. And there's, it's been a restive province throughout the history of, of Pakistan, as we've talked about before. And in fact, the, the, uh, the bo suicide bomb attacks were uh, uh, attributed to and claimed credit for by Islamic State. Uh, and so this is uh, that's very much not the military of Pakistan. That's right. So I mean, the, uh, whereas the mobile internet on election day was suspended across the nation. And again, the PTI party of Imran Khan has uh, a lot of appeal, especially amongst younger Pakistani voters. In fact, uh, uh, the demographic pro uh, profile of uh, Pakistan is extraordinarily young uh, and getting younger all the time right now. And I think that might have been part of the miscalculation of the people trying to to fix the election for the PM, PLMN. Uh, I, I always get that wrong. At the PMLN. Uh, and uh, because if you shut down the mobile internet, it's about as good a way as I can think of to m really anger younger people uh, <laughs> and, right. and say... Well, Sam, it's a country of 240 million people. I mean, that's two-thirds the size of the United States. Could you imagine what it would be like here 
if the mobile internet went out to two thirds of the population on election day? Exactly. You know, and and again, the the military uh, is run by sort of older generals and things like who's been in power for a very long time, and no one even knows their names half the time, right? And so they're used to being able to work their will. But I think the the demographic profile of Pakistan has changed so much, sort of while they weren't looking, that it didn't occur to them that shutting down the mobile internet probably wasn't all that good an idea. Uh, and maybe you should have just relied on the other machinations you were engaging in to get this done for you. Because just a, a, a blunder, I think, frankly. You mentioned in passing um, candidates officially independent, but thought to be affiliated with the PTI, Imran Khan's party, are doing better than anticipated. The reason they're independent and not claiming the PTI it's because the PTI is not allowed to run in this election, if I understand that correctly. That's right. Saying you're in the PTI would be a good way of, of ending up in jail, actually, right, if you're a, a candidate. It, there are some parallels to the El Salvador election that we just talked about a moment ago in that their uh, con was the, the figure that broke up the duopoly, similar to Bukele breaking up the two-party system that had been in place and had been ineffective in combating El Salvador's biggest problems. There are just, uh, as you see democracies evolve and mature, there's a natural, there are natural patterns of erosion that we can see. And and I think we'll continue to see as we cover 49% of the world's population, you know, holding elections this year. Yes. And in particular in Pakistan today, but uh, certainly not uh, exclusive to them across the world. One of the biggest problems is corruption. Uh, and both of the, the sort of legacy parties that we've talked about, the PMLN and the PPP, are just stinkingly corrupt and always have been. And that's sort of what you should expect from parties that are essentially uh, dynastic family-run concerns, right? You know, the it's it's... My brother was the caretaker prime minister, and now I think I'm going to be the prime minister. Or in the case of the PPP, both my mom and my dad were were prime ministers, right? Uh, when uh, uh, Al Zadari's father was prime minister, he was known as Mister Ten Percent, and so this was <laughs> just a ripe for a figure like Imran Khan to come along. Now, many people have said that he's basically trying to establish his own family dynasty uh, in in the form of the PTI, and that may very well be true. Uh, but w basically, we're going to have to update this story next week because so far, uh, there's very little, John, you may have noticed this, there's almost no television reporting coming out of Pakistan right now. And that's not- I have a, noticed. That's not a coincidence, right? The-, the uh, Pakistani authorities are limiting the extent to which even international reporters are able to report the story out. If you go to the BBC website, you can get sort of just text updates, basically, almost like old wire service type stuff. It just happens to be on a web page, but it's all text, right? There's no video coming out of Pakistan right now. And when I watched the BBC about this yesterday, the reporter said, very frankly, uh, there's things I'm not allowed to say 
right? And this is something that the BBC does in many places. For example, they still have a full-time correspondent in Moscow, right, mm. who's very careful about what he says and doesn't say. That's Steve Rosenberg, the BBC guy in Moscow. And I think there's a trade-off, right? The, the BBC thinks there's still value in reporting from places like this, uh, but they're, you know, they observe government restrictions on what they can and cannot report. Let us turn to Senegal, where we have seen some, uh, seen some reporting from Al Jazeera, yes. including earlier today, Friday, the 9th of February, reporting from the uh, main square in Dakar, the capital, where riot police have essentially cordoned off the main square there, and there are reports of tear gas being used to bust up protests. Why are people protesting? Because Senegal's president, Macky Sall, last week unilaterally delayed the elections, the presidential elections in Senegal. They were scheduled to happen on the 25th of this month, and he has said, no, we'll go to December 15th instead. And this is the first time that an election has been postponed in Senegal since it gained independence in 1960. Now, Senegal, 18 million people, formerly part of French West Africa. They speak French. Uh, it's 111th uh, in GDP in the world. The delay, Sam, as I have distilled from the published reports, is Saul, the president, has been in power since 2012. He's not going to run again. And there is a council that vets and approves candidates. And there is also uh, speculation about his preferred successor not being very popular. And so he's like, okay, let's not hold the elections right now because my guy's going to lose. Um, and then there are other potential challengers who have not been approved by this, uh, for lack of a better term, constitutional council. I think it's called the, I believe it is called the Constitutional Council for kind of approving these candidates. So people are big mad in Senegal. Yes. And up until now, Senegal had been one of uh, Africa's great democratic success stories. That, uh, as you say, this is the first time that uh, an election has been postponed and they've had many successful elections over the years. And many people suspect that. Uh, it's just a ploy by Macky Sall to remain in power. Uh, in fact, uh, the he his term limits were imposed by a constitutional amendment a few years ago, and he tried to pull first tried to pull this thing. But well, those that two term limit should start now, right? When he was already president, right? He, it's like so. I can I could he thought that should mean that he could serve two more terms, and. There was a public outcry, and so he agreed last year that he would not seek a third term. Uh, but I think that he might have taken a look at nearby countries such as Mali and uh, uh, Burkina Faso and Niger that have recently experienced military coups. Uh, and again, the speculation goes that he might have said to himself, oh, well, if I stage a civilian coup, that won't be so bad if these other guys can and can put up a military coup and nothing happens to them. Then uh, I might be able to get away with this. Now that might not be what's happening here. Uh, 
Saul insists that he does not intend to remain in power after the, the elections that will now take place in December. Uh, and it's possible that he won't. Uh, but many people are convinced that uh, that is what he's trying to do. And they could, in fact, be correct. We'll have to see how this works out. Again, it won't be until the end of the year until we know. And so, uh, uh, but you know what? If the election does take place, he'll still make it in under the wire in the great year of democracy 2024, right? He, you know, I don't know if he wanted to make sure that he didn't, you know, let it slip till next year and, and wanted to make sure he could take part in the big, great big electorama party, which, you know, if, if, if he does want to, then we should be thankful to him for that. Just a couple of notes on uh, the postponement uh, on Monday, this past Monday, the National Assembly, according to Al Jazeera, descended into chaos as opposition members who tried to block a bill that would confirm the delay of the election uh, were arrested and policemen fired tear, gra tear gas at protesters outside. So, you know, uproarious conflict over the confirmation of this delay. And just very quickly, uh, the candidates who have not been approved to run, one of them named Kareem Wade. He is the former uh, foreign minister and the son of a former president. Oh, he's the current foreign minister and the son of a former president. Um, but he's been disqualified for having dual citizenship. He is both Senegalese and French. And then another candidate who is popular, who has been excluded, uh, is named Sonko. He is uh, possibly the greatest challenger to Saul. Sonko placed third in the 2019 uh, elections, and he was disqualified for having a criminal record after he was imprisoned on charges of corrupting minors and inciting insurrection last year. And Sanko is actually still in jail. So those are the main players outside of Maki Saul and his preferred uh, successor, who is the current prime minister, but apparently not very popular. Yes. And just to, to sort of wind this up, it seems as though in both Pakistan and Senegal, uh, Small D democracy still is sort of alive and well, right? It seems as though uh, supporters of the PTI just wouldn't stand for the fix being put in uh, to deny them their electoral victory. And people in Senegal, likewise, are very angry at having the elections that they've grown used to over the years taken away from them. And despite the unrest, uh, we should at least be happy that the idea of democracy seems to be alive and well in these two not small countries, by the way, in important parts of the world. In 2024, it now seems like we exist, as far as on this podcast, on a spectrum, and the one spectrum is election, and the other end, or the one end of the spectrum is election, and the other end is war. And we're just going to kind of pivot back and forth as far as the big stories this year. And I guess somewhere in the middle is civil unrest about elections. And then way on the, the war side would be things like Ukraine, right? And the Middle East, obviously. And the Middle East. Although right. I should say, there's been some market turmoil in China this week. And so that's something that I'm keeping an eye on that we'll probably begin to talk about in future weeks, depending on how it develops. But if that doesn't happen next week, then we will definitely have a update on Pakistan uh, because we still don't know exactly how that's going to work out. And I'm sure there'll be things going on in the Middle East and that, or perhaps even Ukraine that we can talk about then. Okay. 
Keep those cards and letters coming. JohnRamyMedia at gmail.com. He is Sam Park. I am John Ramey. This has been Working for Crusoe. Have yourselves a great weekend. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.